picking up in the book of Daniel where we've left off, right? Remember last week we uh, we talked about, no, I'm going blank. Talk about how Daniel made bold statement to the king, right? Where he had time to interpret the dream. Today we're going to talk about another bold statement that we hear from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a story we've, we've all heard many times growing up in church, right? Full of things that we all kind of know this story by heart, but we're going to look at it today again anyway, because it's important to constantly refresh some of these stories that we've heard. And maybe, just maybe, there's a little twist to it in the way that we think of it from our childlike faith to our adulthood and how this can affect our daily lives as an adult into the here and now, right? Because we don't all have a king that's ruling over us and telling us what to do. But let's take a look at it. Let's... I'm going to read the first part of it real quick. We're in Daniel chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first seven verses to start with. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to, the, to assemble the, the satraps, the perfects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar it set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the province assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again for letting us come together. Father, not to come together just to spend time together, which we can do, and not just to talk and catch up on lives, Father. But Father, we come together for one purpose, and that's to worship you. Father, I pray that we as we worship through song, now we worship through the hearing of your word. Father, I pray that you would just change our hearts, Father. Open our eyes to the world you have brought for us to live in, Father. Father, that new creations that you, you brought together, Father, we need vessels and share your word, Father. We praise you and love you. Amen. Amen. So we enter today with King Nebuchadnezzar setting up a gold statue for himself. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Kind of a big deal, right? So, as I was thinking, I thought of the Christ the Redeemer statue in, in Brazil. Right, we've all seen that picture in some form or shape, correct? Right, and so I remember when the Olympics were in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, they was they always got to show that flying around the city, and that was noticeable just by every shot they showed. You could recognize that that statue was there. Now that statue is not 90 feet tall; it's 98, so it's it's close. But think about the impact that 98-foot-tall statue has made and seen around the world. Now, it makes it, it's noticeable. Everybody sees it when they see a picture of Rio de Janeiro. How do you say that word? It's 
Rio de Janeiro. I'm working on Spanish, not Portuguese, so. But that's a very noticeable statue. Now imagine in, a, in an area, in just a valley where there's nothing really there, no tall buildings around it, to have a statue almost that tall just sitting there, made of gold. It's going to be noticeable, right? Next thing I thought of was, as we went to the fair the other day, as we come around the corner and we're looking at Oklahoma City, there's something that you can see from a distance now. Right, the Devon Tower. It's very noticeable, and it's, and it's being the tallest building there. It's a little bit more than 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall is about six stories, but it's very noticeable, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue for himself that was very noticeable. And as you notice, when we read the passage, it said every tongue, every language was to bow down and worship when they heard the music played for it, right? Kind of a tough situation for the people back then. They were told that's what they had to do. Now, I don't want this sermon to be about just anti-government stuff, right? Because that's not what it's about. It's about worshiping one person and one person only, and that's God and what they do. So the people here were called to either make a, they had to make a choice to either bow and worship to the statue or face death of a fiery furnace. That was the only two choices. They could worship the king or they could face death. That's a tough situation. All right? And so, as we look into the next section here, in verses, uh, starting in verse 8 through 23, let's read what, what happens as we go on. It says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, Zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a, a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews among you. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then, furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue from my power? King Nebuchadnezzar had a bold statement there, didn't he? Who is the God that can rescue from my power? See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the God and he deserved the worship. And that's not true. Right? He's, he made a bold proclamation that he is better than God. Who is the God that can rescue from my power? Now, I love this next statement by the response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They gave a super bold statement. Uh, we talked about bold statements. This is a bold statement. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Right? The response was, the God we serve has the power to stop you. He can change your heart immediately. He can take all this away. He has the power to stop it in a moment's instance. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that we are going to worship him and him alone. Even if he doesn't take away your power right now and save us from this, we're willing to worship him no matter what. Because he is the God who we serve. And it goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed to a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave the orders to to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the, into the furnace of blazing fire. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like the response that he wasn't the God they, they were going to worship. So much so that he heated it up so fast and so fiercely that he killed the men who were to carry Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Let me just think about that. These, these men, they carried them up there and they threw them in and then they're still, they're still alive as they get carried up. It's so hot that the men carrying them died. So he goes on and says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped in alarm, and he said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, replied to the king. And he said, Look, I see four, four men not tied, walking around the fire unharmed. The fourth looks like the son of gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace, the blazing fire, called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You serve to the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, when the satraps, the perfects, and the governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw the furnace had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command, risked their lives, rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I, I issue a decree that any one of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and his house will be made into a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. All right, so they went through this problem. They gave that bold statement. King, even if he doesn't save us, we will still worship him. And they were willing to honor God no matter what the cost. That would have been a tough decision, right? It would have been easy to just bow down at the foot of that statue just to save your life. It would be the easy thing. And there were probably many Jews that did that. Now they knew it was wrong and they said, I'm going to do this anyway just to spare myself in this moment. Maybe they had lost 
hope in what was going on. Remember, they were kid, they were taken from their home country and they were brought and retrained and retaught everything that was going on. It's just been easier to just go along with the flow and keep it peaceful for themselves. And so, as we read through their lives and we see what happened there, what does this passage have for us to learn today? The first thing is, we are to worship only God. Right? And what are some things that we worship? Right? We each have our own things that, that we worship. For me, there's a few things that I have to fight constantly. I think I've said these before, so I'm willing to admit that I have fault. Because we all do, right? My cell phone. Right? It pulls me away in my bored moments of my life, keeping me from doing one thing. That's meditating on the Word. Right? The Bible says meditate on, my, on the law day and night. And as I fill my void times up with other things, that takes away from my worship to God. Right? It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to pull out the phone and look at things for me. And now these aren't things that everybody has a problem with, but this is some of my, my areas. Another thing is, is, is sports. It can be a battle for me to not worship a ball team or a ball club or, wa- or worship games. Right? And not in the, in the thought process that I'm bowing down at the TV and watching or going to a ball game and watching it. But have you ever watched a ball game and watched the people worship the players and the, and the game and the individuals? There's a lot of worship going on in those games. The other thing I do is I have a problem with food. Sometimes I take food for my comfort rather than God for my comfort. Right? I'm stressed, so I eat. I'm anxious, so I eat. I'm bored, so I eat, Right? And so those are three things that, that I struggle with. And while these things may not have a life or death consequence attached to them, you know, they still pull me away from the God who created me, who saw my sin and sent his son to die so that, that I could have freedom from those things and from sin. And so we each have different things that, that we struggle with that pull us away from God's love. I don't want to even try to guess the different things that God's worked on you with and, kind of, and that pulls you away from him because each one of us has something different. I can only confess to what I have done and what pulls me away. Each of you have your own things that God's worked with you and talked to you about. And what we have to remember that what, what may be a God to some may not, be, may not bother others, but we can judge others we cannot judge others based on our perspective. Now, what do I mean by that, right? Just because I struggle with something, I can't look down on you because you're going through because you're not going through that same process I am. Right? My, I can't judge you based off of what God's working in my life with when God's telling me not to do certain things to change my life away from Him. God may not be working with you in those same ways. God's talking to you about something else that's more important. Well, it may not be the biggest issue where you're always on your phone. God, or may God may not have told you it yet. But that's part of the sanctification process as God walks through each part of our lives and says, this is something that I need you to work on right now. Ignore the rest of it. This is what I need you to work on now. Right? Imagine as you're parenting kids or working with, with kids 
and you try to change everything all at once. That doesn't work, does it? You have to work on one thing at a time, maybe two things at a time, and you just slowly adjust. And as they get better at that, then you can start working on another thing, and then another thing. It's, it's a slow process all the way through. Uh, as I'm teaching kids in math, I don't, I don't just give them the whole lesson at once, right? I teach them one part at a time, slowly, step by step. And sometimes I have to go back and reteach something because they didn't get it completely the first time. Right, so we have these things that we have to just continually work on. And the timing God calls us to change our, our, in our sanctification process, process is different for each person. And while we're not called to be judgmental for other people, we are called to help walk alongside other people as they're, as they're working through their problems. So that's what we call discipleship. Right? When you take two Christians that are walking together and you're helping make each other better Christians. Right? And so it's step by step. It's not a, I'm going to teach you when everything's right because we don't know those answers. It's a coming together and working together and walking through this process in life. There are things that every Christian here can learn. From the oldest Christian to the youngest Christian, we're not perfect. Right? We haven't been fully sanctified. There are things I can learn from all of you, and there are things I, you can learn from me. Right? It doesn't, age has nothing to do with that. It's what God's taught us individually. And so then we have to ask ourselves, do we worship God amid our tough life circumstances? Do we worship God during the tough circumstances of life? Right. I think we can all admit that we have tough, tough times in our lives when things don't go the way we want it to go. Right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were living high, they were happy, they were, they were ruling over a province in Babylon. Right. That's what they were... We ended in chapter 2 where they were rulers in this area. Things were going great for them. They had power. They had strength. Next thing you know, they're called into the king for not obeying his laws. All right? And they were thrown into, the, thrown into the fiery furnace because they didn't obey. That was a tough time. And they chose to continually worship God throughout that time. So when life is hard, do we keep our eyes on God? When finances are tight, do we trust God to provide? Can we say God will provide, but even if he doesn't, he's still God, and I'm still worshiping? Right, maybe the finances are so tough that lecture's going to get shut off, you're going to lose the house, and, and you're just thinking, man, God, you can provide for that. You can cover it. And the reality of it is if he, does, if he chooses to let you suffer for the consequences for what you've done, do you still trust God? Do you still love God? Can you still say he is, he is God and I can worship him even if I lose everything? When we have a loved one that's facing death, can we, can we worship, and, worship God and saying that God can heal that person? God can change the situation? But even if he doesn't, I will still worship him? But that's a hard one. I remember when I was at, working at Stroud and teaching there, we had some student, a student that got sick and was facing death. There was a lot of students that were praying God for his healing. And then the student passed away. It created a crisis of faith for some of those, for some of those people. Right? They, 
they'd been told that if they prayed, God would heal it and God would fix the situation. They weren't prepared for when it didn't happen. So they were willing to worship God when things were going to go well. But the even if caused them to no longer want to worship God. See, they were worshiping a false God. They were worshiping a God that said, if you pray, uh, a God that said, if you pray, then it'll be fixed. But not a God that does things in his own timing. When life isn't going the way you think it should, are you able to worship God fully knowing that he can still change the stuff, change the problems at any time? Right? When things are going bad, can you worship God? Because he is God. And that's all that matters. You know, I think of, whenever I read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can't, in this passage, I can't help but relate it back to Stephen in the New Testament in Acts. When he stands before the Sanhedrin and he tells the story of Jesus to the people trying to get him to quit saying. And in the end, he loses his life because he, can, he still worshiped God till the very end. And I love his last words as, as he looks into heaven and he sees, I see Jesus standing at the right hand and they ask him to forgive them, but they know not what they're doing. So he worshiped until the very end of his life, knowing that his life was going to end. He did the but even if. Even if God doesn't protect me now, I'm still going to worship him because he is still king. Are we willing to do that? Are we able to do that? And so then we have to ask the question, Why? Why would God allow us to go through tough times? Why would God allow us to lose stuff? Why would he allow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the fiery flame or for Stephen to be martyred to death while worshiping him? And there's only one answer. And that way, that's because the world gets to see Christ through us. In Daniel 4, 1, 1-3, through 3, the next three verses that I hadn't read, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wrote a letter, said to those of every people, nation, and language who live on all the earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the, the miracles and wonder of the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Why did God allow Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach and Abednego to go to the fiery furnace in that moment? Because he knew Nebuchadnezzar would praise him in the end. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar would write a letter to the entire world in every language, to every people, right? Every nation. Saying that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego goes, God does miracles, and they're amazing. Why would he allow Stephen to be martyred? You remember what happened after Stephen was martyred? The word didn't end. The people didn't stop praising God. Instead, they spread out amongst the entire world and started sharing the gospel. They were emboldened to share the world to every nation, to every people, 
to every language. We have to ask, why is that stopped with us? Right? I think of the Afghanistan people, the Christians that left there. They're Christians that were able, were so locked down in what they could say and who they could talk to for fear of death. But they got on a plane and flew to other countries. And now they can freely share the word without the fear of death. How great is that? That God used a, a terrible circumstance to spread his word to other countries. How many people are going to get to know Christ because Af- people from Afghanistan left and were able to share the message? So we sang a song, Brett sang a song um, called Even If, and we kind of adjusted the words a little bit so it fit him. But I want, I want you guys to hear the, the story that Bart Millard wrote. Um, I was going to tell it, but I think he does a better job of telling it. So the next slide, and then we have to hit, I think, 13 and 14 on the sound, sound thing to get it to, for the sound to come on. There should be a play button somewhere on there. We're trying the technology stuff. It's fun, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of our songs, for me, is writing lyrics. They, they come out of really hard times of life experience. You know, uh, Imagine was written a few years after my dad passed away of cancer. Bring the Rain was after my son was diagnosed with diabetes. He was two. He's now 15. Uh, homesick was after my brother-in-law was killed in Christ. And Hurt and the Healer was when my... Cousin was a firefighter to the line of duty, and it's all this tragedy. And, and my therapy is writing songs about it. And even if was was just out of me simply having a bad day. My son is a diabetic; he's 15 now. We're going to a checkup, and, and um, whether the checkup was good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's just that it's that reminder that this is very real and it's chronic; it's not going away. So mm-hmm. it could be the greatest checkup ever, but you still won't walk away going, "Yay, we did it!" It's like, ah, oh, we're going to deal with this the rest of our lives. And and that same day, we had a godly friend of ours who was asking us about diabetes. I don't know much about it. And we went through all the statistics and the stuff we've said for years. And she stopped and she goes, you know what? We're just going to pray that God heals him. And the, the good Christian in me kind of smiled like I normally do. It was like, yay, God is good all the time, that kind of stuff. But part of me, just because I was already having a rough day, wanted to grab her by the shoulders and say, really? You don't think I thought of praying for my son to be healed for the last 13 years? You know, and just because I was having a bad day. Nothing against her. She's an amazing person with it. But it was tough. I just, it just, and and I, for whatever reason, I was going to Tim Timmons is one of my dearest friends, and I was going to his house to hang out, and I don't know what we were meeting about, but we sat down, and I just unloaded him in tears, like having the worst day, man. This lady didn't even know, and she said it off, and 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 Tim, for those who don't know, it lives with cancer. He has this weird, rare cancer in his blood that that they say, man, you could live a day or 20 years, we don't know what to tell you. We don't know what, why it's not, you know, and it's, I think it's a totally God thing, but I forget, I was talking to him, and I was telling Tim, you don't really even know what it's like in a chronic illness, man, it's so hard, and he just kind of grinned at me, <laughs> goofy grin, and we were in a studio, so he started playing piano like he was, like, yawning or something, like, background lounge music. <laughs> I thought he was mocking me, and he was just hearing everything I was saying, and I was telling him, I was like, man, I just want to be like Shadow and Misha and Abednego, who stands in front of the fiery furnace and says, I know God can deliver me. I know that he can save me from this, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow. I'm still not going to surrender. He's worth it. And anyway, we kept talking, and I think I even thought he was kind of mocking me, so I kind of cut it short. And then uh, not long after that, he sent me this text memo, and it's him singing almost a bunch of the words that I was saying during that time. Wow. 
and said, many as I wrote this chorus years ago, part of the, the first half of the chorus he wrote with Crystal Lewis five, six years ago. And he goes, I tried, and I just couldn't figure it out, and so we just ditched it. And so he started, like, showing me that and seeing this deal. And, and so I remember telling him, like, man, I just, I know I win some and lose some, but right now I'm losing so bad that it's so hard to stand on stage and tell people that God, God's going to get us through when I'm not even sure I believe that myself, which became ultimately the first verse. And so I just, I heard it, and I was freaking out. And so, you know, started, I couldn't write it quick enough. And, uh, and just, it was one of those few times where, like, I'm writing the second verse, and I'm texting the guys. I'm like, I'm in tears. Like, I'm freaking out. Like, this is, this is a, I mean, when I say it's a big song, it's not, this is a hit. This is a huge song for me. Like, it's, yeah, it's one of those moments where I'm, it's very, very good. sometimes the the meaning behind some of the songs we we listen to right um, as we sang saying worship this morning there was another song I, I'd been thinking about it was mixed in with this song even if and that's uh, it is well with my soul and the story story behind that one is the the, sing, the author of the song had sent his family up for a cross-country journey ahead of him and they died in a shipwreck his wife, his daughters, his children all died on a, on a shipwreck there. And as he was making his trip across on his own, as he came to the point where that wreckage was, he was able to sing, It is well with my soul in the midst of that moment. Right? And that's, that's, is it well with our soul when things aren't going perfect? Can we still worship God when we've lost everything? And so I want, to, I want to end this sermon today with reading the lyrics for that song. Because I think it kind of has meaning to it for our lives. When we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not so much in a government tell us we have to worship something, but what is the world telling us to worship? Right? What are our peers around us telling us to worship? Right? We all have people that were around that, that want to push us away from God into some other area. What are we telling those people? How are we saying that I'm going to stand for God no matter what? So in this song it says, They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and right now I am losing bad. I've stood on the stage night after night reminding the broken it will be all right. But right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave the mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt, would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful, you've been good all of my days. Jesus, I will cling to you, 
come what may, because I know you're able. I know you can. I know you're able, and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt, would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Can we say those words to God as we walk through our life? As we come through tough times? I think this song and that passage fit so well together in our lives that we go through. That we have to be able to look at God and say, no matter what's going on, I know you can change it. I know you can fix it. I know you can fix my broken heart, change the relationships around me, make my job better, make the crops grow, make the cattle flourish, make cow prices go up or down wherever you need them at. I know my car can run perfectly smooth at the snap of your hand, God. I know you can fix all these things that are going on in my life. I, you can make me healthy. You can make my family healthy. And we can have full faith in that. And we can have trust in God that he's going to do it. And we can live a life that says only that, that I'm going to have faith in you as long as you do those things. But we have to remember, even if he doesn't, are you willing to worship him? Even if it doesn't all get fixed, are you able to worship him? As I watch um, many Christian movies, I love I love some of the, the Kendrick Brothers movies, uh, Facing the Giants and Flywheel and several others that they've made. One of the struggles I have with those is they always fix the problem in the end. There is no even if. It's always fixed in those movies. And it kind of gives that false narrative that's what's going to happen but there's one that was called um, Guy's Not Dead and, and I love the ending of it right they all come together they all have these major problems one one girl she became, she was a Muslim that became a Christian and followed God towards the end of the movie her father found out kicked her out of the house she was a teenager grabbed her threw her out of the house violently said you can't be a part of our family Another girl was facing cancer and came to know the Lord. Another guy was an atheist that, in the end, on his deathbed, came to know the Lord. And I love the way the movie at the very end allowed us to see the glimpse of people getting saved and knowing that they were sinful people and that they'd done wrong. But when the movie ended, the Muslim girl was still homeless without a place because her family had thrown her out. The girl with cancer still had stage four cancer and was facing death. And the atheist that had turned his life around in the last moment, he had been hit by a car and still passed away. They didn't clean up the lives of people because that's not what God does all the time. He allows people to walk through life to have a testimony of what God did. And as we read that song, Bart Miller, he would love to be able to have a testimony of his, he prayed and his son's diabetes was gone. But if he had done that, millions of people wouldn't hear this song 
and see that life is hard, but you can still have faith in God. They still the God that loves us, even if he doesn't fix our problems. Even if he doesn't change the lives we live, we can still choose to serve him. And there's one thing I want you guys to take away that this week is that. That you can have faith that he can change it. But you can still worship him even if he chooses to keep it going. Because I promise you when, when you're going through those tough times, if you continue to have faith in him, he will show you why he chose not to change the situation. There will be times in those dark periods in your life that God's going to do something amazing because you still have faith in Him and you're going to look back and go, this is why God didn't change it. This is why God didn't just fix the problem. He allowed me to go through this so that I would have a testimony to share. And it's so easy to walk away and say, God didn't fix it. He couldn't do it. I don't have faith in Him anymore. Because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. But the reality is he had so much more in store for us. So much to change in our lives. That we need to hear. We're a testimony that other people need to hear. Going through those same problems. Let's close in prayer. As Cindy comes up. Heavenly Father we just thank you. Father we thank you that you love us so much that you give us a testimony share for you, Father, that we can glorify you, that you use us. Father, I pray that each one of us here will, will have faith in you and that we'll love you no matter what the situation is, Father. And then when tough times come, Father, I pray that we will be, the, be, be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo and say, even if you don't fix it, Father, I'm still going to worship you no matter what. Even if I have to suffer, I want to worship you. Father, we just praise you and we love you. Open our eyes to what you have for us. Yeah, let me be.